Welcome to Podcast 1999, the podcast about Space 1999. I'm your host, Mark Malik. This is your other this is host. What, this is what I, I was Matthew Commentary. That's right. This is that this is. is. And this is our guest, Brian Clayton. Hello, Hi. Brian. That so, is I am back. This and that. So uh who thought there would be a dragon in this episode? It isn't I did, I did. Well, okay, I did not. On... <laughs> also, like in in my podcasting world, it's like Dragon Week because Mark, you and I are doing D War Dragon Wars in like two days. Um, mm-hmm. I'll do Hercules, which has a dragon in it. So there's just like everything this week has a. Well, this doesn't have a dragon. This in does it. This does not have a dragon in it, and it's exactly what I thought. But it turns out that what it actually has in it is the flying spaghetti monster. So, you know, it, he <laughs> the flying spaghetti monster comes to bless us with his noodly appendages and eat a bunch of people and spit out corpses. <laughs> it is real. So you can't use that yes. as your 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 A. That's what happens. Um only yeah. he's not flying and he's <laughs> not really made of spaghetti. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, he's in space, so kind of flying. I don't know if you if you're are you on are you flying if you're inside a spaceship? He, well, when, when he's, he's when in he the flashy light mode, yeah. he's like incorporeal, then he's flying. <laughs> yeah. He looks right. like the lights of Zatar, you know, yeah. flying around. It looks like the ITC logo. <laughs> That's a cool effect. Um, uh, oh, oh, yeah. oh, here, here, tangent number one before you even do your trivia. Favorite studio fanfare? Do you have mm. faith? Well, you got Columbia's, you uh, got Warner Brothers, BND. Yeah, okay. That's that's a terrifying one. Okay. Yes, of course. The scariest one. Mm. Brian, you are you referring to IT, ITC's fanfare? That's super good. I'm going to go major. <laughs> I'm going to choose the, the Warner Brothers variant before Ocean's 11. Uh, 13, excuse me. 13 has a uh, cool one. Yeah. I mean, Maybe 8 has I mean, a better I, one. I don't know. I am a huge fan of the 70s United Artists, like to the point where. Do you um, mean the eighty-two one, the one that's really slow and creepy? Yes, that, I think that's eighty-two. I thought, just a few, I thought that I, I thought that started like seventy-six. Obviously, maybe I you know better down this rabbit hole. But uh, mm. the day I saw, I think you can hear us talk about it on a podcast. Yeah, yeah, we did a whole thing somewhere. About <laughs> <laughs> somewhere, yeah. it's not the first time I've been down that rabbit hole. Okay, tangent closed. Let's do some trivia. Okay, okay trivia. This is the penultimate episode produced for the season 23rd in production order. We have Charles Crichton back to direct. Last one from this season, but he'll be back for six in season two. Christopher Penfold is back for his final writing contribution to the series. As I mentioned in a previous trivia somewhere, the script was written to feature Nick Tate as Alan Carter. Uh, but Landau vetoed it, apparently saying to him, I'm the star kid. When you have your own series, you can have control. What was originally Carter's role was actually given to the new character, Tony Cellini, following a rewrite that Landau assisted Jerry Anderson and Charles Crichton with. Tate was devastated but sympathized with Landau's point of view. I found no info on whether Landau personally wrote in the two times that Carter was knocked unconscious. Uh, the scene with Koenig apologizing to Dr. Russell was inserted by ITC New York and was generally considered schmaltzy by everyone else. <clears throat> the James Bond film series was in the middle of a three-year hiatus, <laughs> which is laughable by today's standards. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so that's why M's office was used as the set for the office of Commissioner Dixon. Uh, our primary guest star this week is Gianni Garco as Tony Cellini. Was Donnie Darko named after him? I couldn't find anything to confirm or deny. Time loop. Yes. I mean, think about it. You know, doomed hero. No time doesn't loop speak English very well. <laughs> uh, born in 1935 in Zara, Dalmatia, Italy, which is now part of Croatia. He has a long acting career in TV and film that leads up to 2017 with his appearance in 52 episodes of 
Maggie and Bianca fashion friends. But of course, you can also see him in Sartana Kills Them All. I am Sartana, your angel of death. If you meet Sartana, pray for your death. And like the fuse, Sartana is coming. So we don't want to meet Sartana? Is that what you're saying? It sounds like you don't want to meet Sartana. Uh, as Commissioner Dixon, we have Douglas Wilmer. He was born in 1920 in London. He was an actor with over 100 credits, but is most well-known for playing Nayland Smith in the unfortunate series Fu Manchu. Uh, in his spare time, he painted and also served in the Royal Artillery in World War II. Spare time. Uh, of course, you can also see him in Golden Voyage of Sinbad, Passport to Treason, and Octopussy. He passed away in 2016 at the age of 96. Uh, as the ill-fated Dr. Monique Boucher, we have Barbara Kellerman, born in 1949 in Manchester. She eventually appeared in the 80s and 90s British TV miniseries based on some of the Narnia books, but also appeared in Satan's Slave, Victorian Scandals, and Comedy Premiere. She seemingly retired in the 2000s, but is still with us. As the ill-fated Professor Juliet Mackey, we have Susan Jameson. She was born in 1941 in Bart Green, Worcestershire, UK. Made one appearance in UFO, not to mention Grandpa in My Pocket, a very British sex scandal, and always in everyone. As the ill-fated Darwin King, we have Michael Sheard. He was born in 1938 in Scotland and has a load of TV credits, including uh, TV and film credits, including playing Admiral Ozzel in The Empire Strikes Back. And also played Adolf Hitler in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, The Dirty Dozen Next Mission, The Tomorrow People, Rogue Mail, and Secret History. He passed away in 2005, so he can no longer play Adolf Hitler. Was it Those were all Adolf Hitler? Hitler? Those were all Hitler. Um, oh, for, wow. There's a lot of Hitler credits. <laughs> for today's uh, one last cast spotlight for season one, Clifton Jones is David Cano. This bio should have gone before Guardian of Peary, but I had stuff going on when I did that. Uh, he was born in 1937, St. Andrew, Jamaica, moved to the UK in 1956 to study acting at the Italia Conti School. Wonder if he, that has any connection with the Italians we keep seeing on the series. I don't know. Uh, his first regular role was in British soap opera Emergency Ward 10, but his most well-known role actually is this role in Space 1999. But you can also catch him in Now Look Here, Doctor in Charge, Menace, Watership Down, and in two episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation, one of them as a Klingon. Uh, he retired in the mid-90s, but is still with us in 2024. And that's the trivia. Go back to where you listed all the crew members of the um of the Ultra Probe, and then just tell me the adjective where you said they were gonna die. Ill-fated. Was was that for all of them? Yes. Ah, uh, okay. I thought I heard it sometimes, twice. but I was hoping you were. You heard say, it three like, times. I was hoping that you had different words, and then you would say them all together. But that's not what happened. Oh well. well. Sometimes the best joke that I can do is just to say the same thing three times. <laughs> Uh, hey Brian, I could have just called addendum. them all corpse. You want an addendum on anything? Oh no, I mean I, I, I well, got a kick out of you know the fact that Admiral Ozzel, you know, keeps getting killed in space. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there, there, the the only thing I specifically left out was that after they were done filming this, they left the creature outside. And that was, and it then rotted <laughs> in the sun. But I didn't think that was quite. It probably got more terrifying enough. looking because that happened. Okay. Yeah, but it wasn't the most terrifying thing about it was just the screaming. I couldn't find who what the credit was for who was doing the screaming, mm -hmm. which would be some very good trivia if I could find that. How about, I just want to point about... out that in the uh, in the zeitgeist of the time, the creature was so famous. He got his own lunchbox. Oh, wow. Right. <laughs> Imagine going to school with that and just be like, ah. well, I went to school with did. this. This is not the very one. <laughs> My wife gave me this one, but the original got destroyed ages ago, I'm sure. But she found wow. it on, on eBay. That <laughs> is amazing. Should I just assume the other side's Koenig and an eagle? Oh, that's no, Koenig with a moon buggy and an eagle. Yeah, yeah okay. And uh, no, no thermos. The thermos is the first thing to go, or so the thermos never survives. Uh -huh. I'm sure. They, you, you put him out in the sun with the uh, with the octopus monster. <laughs> I very much remember what Thermos's 
were like when they were like done and it's, it just smells like the inside of somebody's mouth just like the Ooh. most disgusting anyway here's a story uh, for you i any... have a story for you do it dr russell is concerned that moon base captain tony cellini is battling unseen creatures in the dark of his quarters but commander koenig knows cellini is solid even after cellini tries to fly away with an eagle Five years ago, in 1996, Koenig, Cellini, and Victor Bergman were on a mission to explore the newly discovered 10th planet, Autra. Only a coin flip sent Cellini instead of Koenig. The man probe found a graveyard of spaceships, and once Autra linked to one, a many-tentacled monster killed all of the crew save Cellini. Folks back on Earth reckon Cellini was actually responsible for the deaths through negligence. Dr. Russell agrees, though Koenig says he is solid. Then Moonbase Alpha encounters the ship graveyard again, weirdly appearing in a faraway galaxy. Cellini finally commandeers his eagle to fly over and take down the many-tentacled monster. He fails and dies. But Koenig catches up and realizes that the creature's weakness may be the eye, which takes up a good 60% of its body. So Cellini is dead, Koenig eye stabs, and we're off for another adventure next week. At least one more time. Okay, that, that was the end of that. <laughs> so, this is my favorite... I would say this is maybe my favorite two minutes of the series... Surrounded by my least favorite rest of the episode. <laughs> oh, do flashbacks bore you? I know they blow. I bore found this out. infuriating. <laughs> I found this episode infuriating. Like you know, it's, it's funny, I saw uh, there, was, there was an episode of space of UFO in the previous series the Andersons did, which was largely a flashback, and it gave you a lot of you know character background for for Ed Striker Striker Striker, okay. um, Ed Bishop's character. Um, and so I thought, well, this would have been cool if this had been about one of the main characters, but it was about the guest stars character. So, uh, who exactly. appears and instantly becomes the most important person on the moon base for the one episode. MVP. And everything, MVP. everything about him is fed to us by like Koenig and Hel Helena saying nice things about he is. He was the greatest athlete. He was the great. There's an, there's nothing. A golden boy. Nothing. It's tell don't all show. rounder. All of it is tell don't show. Then it's like the argument. It, it's just did he see the monster or did he, I guess, kill all those people is kind of reduced to this argument that is stretched out as if there was anything more. There's nothing to the argument except did he see the monster or not? But it sort of ke keeps being reframed as like. I don't under and 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 Koenig says some of the most frustrating and non arguments. <laughs> the lo the logic where he, at at some point I I have all these notes that are just scattered everywhere, but it's just um I don't know it's at some point he's talking about how he saw the spaceships and she's like well but but uh, he's not right about the monster and then Koenig says that makes him but he's writer, which is like what. You talk. I feel like now my brain is becoming broken by how scattered my own thoughts about. I wrote that down. I look writer than you. Yeah, this is this is just Koenig being mad that he's that he's possibly not right about something. That the entire episode he's just screaming about. I, I yeah. Guess we... Well, he's 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 very much uh, on Cellini's side, and he he yeah there's this whole bromance thing between those two i mean they decided the fate of the you know command up based on a coin flip they're that casual right <laughs> they're just yeah but everything yeah yeah you know there's just a just the you know you know uh a buddy club of you know two people <laughs> but they have one scene together i think and it's the one where koenig shows up and shoots him he's like i'm yeah. sorry bang shoots him <laughs> he has more scenes with alan carter who was well the flashback makes control. up for that Flashbacks supposed yeah. to explain how you know close they are, and uh, and yeah, um, well, flashback has most of it is either him opposite Helena, which isn't bad. He's not a bad actor. His English is bad, but he's not a bad actor. But it's just the character is so weirdly underbaked, except for what the characters are feeding us exposition about him. 
And I think uh, yes. Alan Adam once too. Did anyone catch that? He said, I like, didn't Adam, get he that. was like, Adam, I, come over here and look at this. I, well, I said, did he call Alan Adam or is it just the accent? Alam, Alam, come over here. Yeah. I, I, I caught like a few weird grammatical errors in, in Helena's like voiceover where she says he was on the point of death, which is not. And she says, I began to inquire into the mental state of the patient, which is just weird. It's just a weird sentence. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a mess. I don't know. Maybe this was a thing where Christopher Penfold was just checked out and he just, he was checked uh, out. He'd been kicked off the show. <laughs> I guess he's kicked off the show, right? Guess he didn't so get that maybe, final rewrite in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe the rewrite was just super rushed and that's why it's just this insane mess. I, I did find the, um, the voiceover to be highly annoying. <laughs> yeah, it, it made me think of late the later next gen episode. Um, I I forget the name. It's the one where um, Crusher takes someone else's role, where she takes Jordy's role because she's suddenly interested in like that sun solar shielding. Joe Brill. Um, so that's the guy because I thought his name was actually Joe Brill, but it's the sci-fi Joe Brill. Uh, and and <laughs> Crusher does mildly uh, annoying. Uh, voiceover in that, but she's a central character, so it, she that episode kind of gets away with it. Yeah, it's still the worst thing you... about that episode, but yeah, here I just like, uh, yeah, like you say, I guess it's, it's too much telling and not showing. Although, like you said, for the two minutes they finally show you something, it's great. Yeah, it's the best, it's basically Space Cthulhu or whatever. It's like that, even, even if it's kind of ridiculous that basically. The only way they could figure out how to make it eat people is to hypnotize them into running into it. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It didn't matter. I didn't care. And, and also, yeah, that was, was a little hit and miss too. Sometimes it worked, and sometimes it didn't. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it didn't work on anybody at the end. He, the 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 monster lost its ability to hypnotize people, and also, well, it never really hypnotized Celine because he's an individualist. <laughs> exactly. So, but but it did kill him. It did eat him because Koenig showed up. So. You know, Cody because he had to be, to kill yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Look, it's, kid, that, when I you get your was... own show, you get to kill the monster. Well, it's funny you said that whole thing. It's two things. One is that in the book, in the original, I guess, dates back to the original script. His character's name was uh, what was it? Jim Bellini. Calder. Oh. No, Jim Calder. That's how okay. he's written in the book. And I'm like, okay, but then you tell me the story about how oh, it was supposed to be Alan Carter. So it went from Alan Carter to Jim Calder to Tony Tony. And yeah. uh, the other thing was, uh, I was thinking, you know, if if Landau wanted to check out of the series. This would have been a great point because he could have gone in and got himself <laughs> killed. And then Tony would have been the hero. And then he would be elected the new, you know, commander of Moonbase Alpha. And no one could understand what he had to say because of his accent. Anyway, <laughs> that would have been fine I, with that. He is, he has pres. He's like a Schwarzenegger. He has a presence. Yeah. That he, I don't, I like I don't, the actor. I like you, him better you and than I had the to deal with that once where, the, where, where he had the, the boss at the mall where he, yeah. his accent was so thick. Like, He'd give me his car and like give me two thousand dollars and to and be like, oh, I'm like what? <laughs> he had an accent and a speech impediment at the same time, which is not ideal. Yeah. Um, so he, and my job was to go around between all the stores, and half the time I wasn't quite sure I was doing what I was supposed to be doing because <laughs> I didn't understand the instructions. So that that would be Chalidius, a base of root base alpha. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, this is a frustrating, frustrating misfire. And uh, after a string of episodes that I've really liked, I don't remember the last one. I guess the last one I really disliked was Collision Course, which is quite a while ago. Yeah, I mean, there's something like Full Circle where it's like really, really derpy, but it's fun. I mean, is that after Collision Course? I'm yeah, that's, uh, that's after Collision Course. Okay, well, maybe you didn't like that. Okay, <laughs> I didn't, it wasn't good, but it was at least there was stuff happening collision course was collision course was a lot like this where i actively was frustrated with what the characters were doing and it didn't seem to make sense but at least oh. i guess at least there were more characters here to to chew on uh, just, just on another yeah just on another thing um i i I was not on team. I thought Mars was a good choice for space brain. I did like the piece they mm -hmm. used in this for the um, Ultra mission, which was, I wrote it down, Adagio in G minor for strings and organ mm -hmm. in G minor by Remo Giazzotto. So I don't know. I thought it was familiar, but, you know, I thought I played it. Hmm. On a theme sure by somebody else. Not. 
There's apparently some uh, controversy on that piece. It was claimed to be it was Al Al Albanini or someone like that, but it was like based on a theme by him or something you, you by could do Warmoth. that. That's you could Hmm. do that. I mean, there's like themes in Beethoven symphonies that he stole from someone else. Right. But the thing about that is I remember there was a album by Renaissance, if you guys are familiar with that uh, 70s prog rock group called uh, Cold is Bean that came out around that same year, like 74, was based on that same theme. And uh, I'll shoot you a link to it. I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere. It's, it's a nice song. And then years later, I learned it was based on this. And then I put it together. It's like, oh, that's the same thing from Space 1999. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I thought it, it had kind of that tone of uh, the string piece in 2001 Space Odyssey, kind of that space loneliness uh, feel that fit nicely with uh, the Ultra Mission going out there. So, which I Mm-hmm. assume Yeah, it was. they were going for that, you know, connection as well when they made it, but, or at the Yeah, same time. I had that sort of discovery going to Jupiter vibes. Like, we're on this long, lonely trek. But it was In fact, very in the effective. book, they called it a Star Trek at one point. That didn't used to be. <laughs> <laughs> Are you well, all on some sort of a Star Trek? <laughs> I mean, I feel like I would want to move to Planet Ultra just on principle. I live in Ultra. Like, screw Earth. I live in Ultra. Ultra Pretty good might not name. have air. Yeah. No, it did. And that's the problem. This is the thing about Ultra. It's like the biggest red herring in the story is like, they're going to go visit the planet. That was the original mission. We found a new planet. Let's check it out. We get there and all this other crazy stuff happens. We never learned about Ultra. The fact that it's a Earth-like planet that's in the far distant cold area of space beyond Pluto, which couldn't possibly support life, could support life. And yet we don't learn that. single thing about the planet other than it's just there Yeah, they glaze over that That basically <laughs> it, there's so much glaze. They're, they're trying to fit so much in this and they glaze mm -hmm. over so much. It's extremely frustrating, right? Like, sure, uh, um, it's super impressive that the guy managed to slingshot himself back to Earth after the creature ate everyone, but that was pretty cool it just it just is like, I, I don't feel like they would do we even see Ultra. I feel like maybe You we get did, one shot, but it's I kind of black and red. It doesn't really look very, uh, it was kind of foreboding, actually. But we never learned anything else about it. Other than Victor discovered it, which means he's world famous. Because when you discover planets, you tend to become world famous. <laughs> At least Yeah. it's in this true. story. <laughs> no, he is he is the science Before we discovered director planet on a moon of Earth. base, so that seems reasonable he'd be famous. But also, I mean, Victor and Koenig in the flashbacks come across as basically the exact same characters that they are now. So I, I would have liked them to be... a. different somehow but but the worst thing about the flashback entirely is that they go see this commander who they basically sort of have this non-argument with and uh that scene just amounts to nothing he fires all of them and then the voiceover says but they all ended up on alpha like they were what's the <laughs> it was what's three the point years of me for that seeing to happen a whole scene of them getting fired if they're just gonna be just sort of hand-waved back yeah to I got service the impression that and was do the nothing. last time what was it 96 that was the last time Koenig was on Alpha right Like, so... and then until until in Breakaway where he was returned as the commander to replace Gorski Yeah. but then somehow in between somewhere he requested Tony Cellini be assigned to Alpha it's like When did he have time to Yeah. do that as commander? He got there, and almost the next day, the moon was gone. So he didn't have any time And to she... request any personnel changes. And she also goes out of her way to say that they forgot about that whole thing happening until now, which I don't think that Cellini forgot about that happening. What I thought I've... was awesome is they're wearing, like, future jackets in the past. Because... Wants <laughs> yeah. well, to give you some continuity. Like, see, the jackets were around. We were wearing them years ago, back when we kept the thermostat lower on Moonbase Alpha because we're trying to conserve energy, I guess. I don't know. I like the orange ones kind of, too. Those are... You didn't like the orange ones as much, Matt, I think. I like the blue one and the orange one. They're both. Oh, I, yeah, I like I thought them. Victor was rocking that blue one. It's too bad that's the only time you get to see him in it. Other than uh, Death So Dominion. <laughs> Yeah, that's about the only time we see those jackets. yeah, um, but yeah, that's that is extremely I I guess they just had access to M's office or like, let's just have a scene in M's office. That dawned on me just when I was rewatching it because you know what the, 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 the tell is the giveaway? It's the red quilted leather door. As soon as I saw that, I said, that's M's office. And I checked the rest of the set and said, that's the same set. <laughs> Yeah. Good set. <laughs>
Um, and it wasn't really like a three-year break, I don't think, between Bond movies. They were still coming out about every two years back the then. The 70s are bopping, weren't that's they? What, that's what um, Let's see, the IMDb said following... Well, production-wise. said following the disappointing reception of Man with the Golden Gun, there was a three-year Really? Okay. And it also might have been like a three-year production hiatus, and it might be that one of that they came out less than three years apart because of well, that was during the time when Bond films were basically coming out every odd year, and the only exception to that, I think, was Man with the Golden Gun. But it came out in the very last week of '74. It was like Christmas release, like post-Christmas release. So I tend to think of it. I tend to think of Golden Gun as like a 75 movie. So there was 73, 75, and then 77 was The Spy Who Loved Me. So really, it wasn't that long. Maybe production wise, but release wise, Hmm. it was more like. You know what? I the weird thing is, I'm looking at Man with the Golden Gun that says 74. So this must have come out while they were. It must have come out right when they were producing. It's not like they really redress the the set uh, much. I mean, they just pop (laughs) in for a day and shoot this. You know. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, like a yeah. It's what pretty, I think is truly changed the paintings <laughs> is that Roger Moore aged like 20 years in that three year period. <laughs> yeah, it's real. He looks he looks real weird in the later James Bond movies. I, I feel like I he's not even that old. It's just sort of a thing where he's aged. He's just one of those people who didn't age. Well. Yeah, I guess between uh, his debut and so I've been what, 70 three One? i guess in and living let die and then 77 77 kind of spy who loved me so uh, according four to years he, he aged IMDb. The 10 years and four years <laughs> yeah according to the imdb this is a three-year gap but the three-year gap is like the entirety of space 1999 happened between the, it within the three-year gap and james yeah kind of yeah. the beginning of it so it's almost no point in them mentioning how long the gap is Oh, a uh, fun fact! Just... Uh, uh, another another connection is that if you go to uh, Moonraker and you look mm-hmm. at some of the props and and things on Moonraker, like particularly for those looking at the video, these lamps that you see all over Moonbase Alpha, they're on mm-hmm. Drake Draco's or Drax's space station in Moonraker. You see a lot of uh, like Space nineteen ninety nine gear turn up in in some of the Bond movies after. And this. that jungle control <laughs> room must have some of that stuff too. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. I mean, the timing works. They just they found that they'd probably all went into storage at Pinewood and just like, yeah, look at all the space stuff. It's time to make the space bond. Those lamps were like Italian, another Italian Italy connection. Uh, I think some Italian designer produced those lamps. They're kind of hard to come by these days. They're they're pretty pricey because they're vintage seventies. Yeah, it, I wish I'd bought more stuff like that. Like. 20 years I still ago, a lamp like that. <laughs> yeah i i have a couple of mid-century ish things that i'm like need to fix up and uh like i have this sort of in pieces but i have this ice bucket that's basically a dome but it needs to be like kind of rebuilt because oh it fell apart really easily your, your fortress of solitude well the i didn't realize that dome it's so stupid that like the inside of it is was basically rubber that had nothing reinforcing it there's a bunch of air in between the rubber and the the plastic and i just broke a piece of tried to break some ice up against the wall not knowing that the wall was just rubber that could just fall apart Um, anyway let's go to the good part of this i'll just read my notes uh when when we finally get to the monster uh verbatim i wrote um, all hail space death octopus why did that guy run directly into space death octopus <laughs> that did not work out well for him this is kind of what happened in Europa report and not the little hottie with the bob <laughs> so I, I like guess one of the I've... few white sleeved characters I see other than Helena <laughs> actually has a medical uh, sleeve you want to send you want to send a doctor out on your probe i feel like you can't call it a probe if people are on it i've said i said that in voyager's return as well though so maybe maybe i'm wrong (laughs) i don't know i don't know what protocol is in space medical medicine i mean you got you should have somebody to you know take care of someone's wounds in case they get oh no they need a doctor i'm just saying like it doesn't seem like this is a probe you know probes i i I consider a man probe probe, yeah yeah 
Also, you know, this uh, in this in, in this universe, it's like anytime a new planet is discovered, they immediately launch a manned probe to it, like they did with the meta probe at the beginning of the series, which right. also, also met a bad fate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like this one kind of rendered the meta probe a little moot because it seemed like they were telling us, "Oh, our budgets are you know we can't send more than one probe." <laughs> <laughs> especially if they're disastrous so we're not going to send another probe but then meta comes along and says, oh well there's another planet well we got to launch a probe to it well that was three years <laughs> later exactly well maybe but, they uh and that one was swinging straight. right by it's not like Autor where you really have to go out there and look for it meta was was swinging right by earth so it made it easier mm -hmm. i i um i took notes that when they were up there the uh the doctors were sort of making a joke that it was like a like a like a car park for a conference for an alien conference which probably they should have been freaked out that they saw alien spaceships and nobody seemed to care but they were more like we can really use those to fly out in the interstellar space but which yeah. which description did you like better spaceship graveyard or um car show or whatever tony called <laughs> car show tony. he said he said Alan something. called it yeah he uh, tony said motor show that's the... what he said motor show yeah. <laughs> but uh, Tony said, but where's the conference? And it looked like the conversation came to a dead halt and everybody stopped laughing because it, it was almost like he's a buzzkill. It was like he didn't get the joke or something. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but also, well, I don't know. Humor my favorite is thing about one the, of the hardest things to translate. My favorite thing about the flashback is that in 1996, there's space news. The guy comes on TV. It's like space news. Oh yeah, it has to that. come from Houston, right? It can't come from anywhere else. Yeah, I, I guess that's um, where UFO gets a little bit of a leg up on Space 1999, just because I believe it has more weird stuff like that showing up. That would be cool. Um, also, what do I have here? Oh, when when the the monster shows up, the one guy, Doctor, the guy who always played Hitler, said, "Wind, noise, light. It's pretty weird." Just pretty accurate. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, pretty weird. Space is weird, man. Pretty weird, and then it's your favorite him. line: wind, noise, light. Pretty weird. Yep. Pro that's not probably good line from this one. I have a lot of bad lines written down. Tony <laughs> has a lot of bizarre lines. I couldn't went... settle on one. And then when Alan just... says, "What's that guy got against me?" After he's knocked out the second time, <laughs> Alan was so cool about that. That made me, that made me laugh. Yeah, I, I did. I right, chuckled right at the start. Eight hundred and seventy-seven days, so we're almost up. No, actually, if it's September thirteenth, we're we're getting close to space two thousand three, aren't we? By this uh, point? it's two thousand and two. Yeah, right. Which right. which, means which is not going to make any sense to... later in the series because then they mm. quote numbers that are earlier than that. So <laughs> a lot of inconsistencies <sighs> those, in the dating. Those episodes happen like star dates, you know, chronologically. Yeah. What? Yeah, <laughs> season. Yeah, two we just changed everybody's this? uniforms and sets between episodes, and then changed them back again. And now it's back or something. To, yeah, it's it's nineteen ninety nine again. Oh god, it reminds oh. me of the Babylon Five spinoff that had uh, the same problems. <laughs> they've gone through like five weird warps at this point. Who knows what year it is? I mean, technically, if you go the speed of light for a million light years or whatever it was they did, then. It could. We don't know how that works. As far as relativity, they could be in like the the twelve hundreds or something. We don't. We don't know yeah. what happens when you do that. That's well. The, the beginning uh, Helena says they're between galaxies, but then later she says we're three months flight time from from the nearest planet. It's like, wait, you're between galaxies. You're never. I'm pretty sure ever again. Yeah, <laughs> galactic using space. Any, yeah, using any real model of how physics works how travel works you probably oh, yeah. would be between solar systems that's a, a huge a huge conceit about this show is you just cannot trust the science about space and everything because there's they, they have no conception no. at all <laughs> no so do you guys think that the flying spaghetti monster is the god that's been guiding them along their path the whole time yes you think that's why they've been going in the straight line and they keep meeting people who know who earth is and stuff well yeah it's like another of those you know mysterious unknown forces in in the show that kind of seem to be affecting the destinies the whole the whole idea of the moon flying through space at all is so bizarre 
so it's possible um i think when we get to those uh later novels that were written in the 2000s um there's a an idea that the the dragons as you'd call them in this were one of many species who were you know connected to the space brain that we saw a few weeks ago and the whole mythology gets kind of convoluted and weird but there's this, this attempt to try to make some sense out of the whole thing i don't know if we still had johnny Byrne around well he was around but if if we had the same production crew in season two and hadn't made all those changes maybe they would have started putting connecting the dots and trying to make it all makes sense. But. Yeah, one, I mean, it might have been actor availability or the lack of continuity in the 70s, but I was like, why not, when they're in M's office, why not have that be Simmons? <laughs> mm -hmm. That would be that would be fantastic. I think that would have been great. <laughs> that would have been too too good, really. You know, just have this be, be about Alan Carter being haunted by the thing and then he doesn't die at the end, or maybe he does, and have that be, yeah, Simmons. Well, no, it's, then... it's, it's a 96, and that was the what space commissioner guy right or whatever or so or at least I mean, yeah so, yeah that, commissioner that yeah the um... no he already died in earthbound so we can't have him again space agency <laughs> i forget the name of the space there's a, the lunar finance commission which always made me smile it's like oh there's moon a finance bucks. commission just for moon bucks yeah exactly um, yeah but, um uh, i have i don't know of... so do, do you guys think this works as a do you buy this as a ghost story? Because that's sort of what it seems to be pitched at is the ghost story is wherever you go and there are abandoned spaceships there for some reason, there's also this monster, which is not alive technically. It, it Let me make... ask a dumb question. Is okay. there was there any reason they ran into the space graveyard again? That it was, was just basically there. what I was getting at. It was okay. it didn't it didn't work. I like the idea of it that like, oh no, it's the space graveyard, but, but, but like spaceships don't just appear wherever I'm like, what? <laughs> I don't know if a monster is haunting someone, does it have to take all those dead spaceships with it? Like, <laughs> does it make sense? And does that mean well, that they went, they also went this a hundred well, times had a, of light? Victor had a line that said it looked like spiders trapped in a web. And so it's kind of implied that, something drew them to that point in space oh that's where the web then moves around yeah. from galaxy to galaxy and then yeah but the coincidence of alpha appearing in that same place seems a little too bizarre so again you're left with the mysterious unknown force causing this to happen do you believe oh, did you guys, um, and a young girl's was heart, one of... how the monster can kill her wherever it starts Mm -hmm. web web was one of the working titles of a version of the script and i think that would mm -hmm. have been a better title since there is not a dragon in this and also if you're wondering www.dragon.com is uh parked nobody should there. have called this episode octopus's garden no i've been good yeah okay <laughs> oh oh no i'm sorry dragon.com uh, redirects to dragon speech recognition hmm. so you know that's cool probably it probably sucks can we go ahead and slander whatever company that is. Another little continuity problem. I don't remember who says it, but um, someone maybe it's Victor or Koenig saying, "I don't. They don't. We don't know what a black sun is going to do." And I'm like, "We mm -hmm. saw that in episode three. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we very much saw what the black sun does. It puts you. In yeah, a saying, yeah, we know about black suns, and I, and I was thinking, and that and that helped you out how much when you finally met a black sun? <laughs> it didn't seem to help." Um, also well, about Tony's um, fascination with hatchets. I was wondering, is it because he used a hatchet in the Ultra Probe mission? Is that where his fascination with tomahawks and things came into play? Did he start collecting them after that? <laughs> well, he might they... have just been a hatchet expert because that's one of his many skills. Do you think the ISS has a hatchet on there? <laughs> yes, several. Maybe. One for each astronaut in case they have to all fight each other. Um, Black Sun did air... Two episodes after this episode. Um, oh, so they also, didn't know what the Black Sun going to do. I didn't really realize this, but this is one of the highest rated episodes of the series. And No, it is. Like that, I, um, I was coming in thinking I was the odd man out by not loading this one. And then you kind of explained it like it's 
two of the best minutes of the series surrounded mm-hmm. by like what? <laughs> I mean, my theory is that a bunch of kids saw this episode, it messed them up, and then they got an attachment yeah. to it. It's 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 pure it's pure nightmare fuel. Kids yeah, freaked out about that. I mean, it, it you know, I was a kid and I kind of remembered this one pretty vividly because of that terrible well, monster. I mean, yeah, remember when we had a discussion about Greatest American Hero and I said like the, the episode where he fought a bunch of people in the other dimension was the, one of the only ones I specifically remember because it was scary and then the Mork and Mindy where he shrank a whole bunch. Like mm-hmm. I can't, I couldn't sit down and tell you the plots of almost any Mork and Mindy episodes but I could tell you the two or three that upset me. <laughs> so there you go. Meanwhile, I'm watching this in my mid-40s so what I'm thinking of olive oil hustling around with the non- motorized octopus in the Robert Altman <laughs> pot pie film. It was supposed yeah. to move, but it wasn't working. So there was, well, okay, thinking... Shelly, just flip those things around. <laughs> that happens with every rubber monster with tentacles. I mean, going back to Ed Wood, right, in the yeah. Bride of the Monster or something. Mm-hmm. Anytime you have a rubber monster, it doesn't work. And so the actors have to kind of help it along by grabbing the tentacle and wrapping it around. It's the same story in this episode. The tentacles didn't always uh, come off as very scary. I, I appreciate that they did make the tentacles work finally at the end for Tony because I guess they decided that they couldn't just have Tony run into its mouth like everybody else did. But I mean he still died and it didn't even it didn't even show it spitting out Tony's corpse like everybody else. And that's why the Helena at the end says we don't know the fate of they don't know anything about the monster. They don't know about Tony's fate because they just left. And uh also then Koenig leave? says Koenig says that he would, that Tony would be very happy that he put new life into an old myth, and I said he would have been happier to not be dead. Yeah, <laughs> I think maybe Tony just becomes the next monster. Whoa, that'd be cool. Yeah, <laughs> they would have a scene where octopus. he resurrects, as starts growing tentacles out of his hands or something. That'd be awesome. That'd be sick, like Tetsuo the Iron Man style, just like stop motion growing a bunch of stuff out of him. Do you guys know. remember uh, in um, Guardian of Piri? I said, look out for another creature that's oval shaped with a big eye in the middle of it all right (laughs) i just thought the design uh between the guardian and the and the monster were pretty similar just one big glowing eye i mean it kind of reminds me of the monster from the comic book watchman that was changed for the movie because (laughs) clearly we didn't didn't get the tentacled monster in in new york yes i was very disappointed about that one aspect of the watcher (laughs) i was but i thought that I thought that of all the changes they made, that one was at least understandable. <laughs> yeah, I, I was, uh, that was that book. That movie was really a very faithful adaptation in many regards. It, so. Especially considering that most people consider that unfilmable, and I think I kind of agreed with them. So for them to make it at all is pretty impressive. I mean, yeah, it's it was not, impressive just yeah. that it got made at all. I've yeah. always liked that one. For yeah, I guess people don't seem to like it that much, but I've, I've there. Really I mean. I like the things the like the sex scene. People are mad at, at the sex scene, but I think that it was funny and I laughed. So I don't, I don't care if something is pulled off in a way where I'm amused by it. I don't really care that much. Um, it wasn't uh, eye rolly. Anyway. The other reason they might have wanted to get out out of that, getting back to this episode, they wanted to get out of the probe so quickly. Is I, you know, I like to think about what the smells are when I'm watching my tv and movies so i assumed it smelled like dust gore and squid guts in there probably and, and yesterday at the 7-eleven um maddie and i stopped by there to, to get like a burrito or whatever and i noticed they had um one, one thing in the um uh, they had squid guts it was labeled in english as such i mean that's not what the japanese said but mm-hmm. it's like mark would you like to eat some squid guts uh what does the package look like um, it was like a white sealed package with like gloopy shit inside. I'll pass. Thanks. <laughs> Brian, squid guts. You want to eat them? Squid guts. No, That's what calamari. Yeah, but not guts. It was not no. calamari. <laughs> it sounds like it was like a canned. Calamari like a is the opposite of squid guts. Of, yeah, <laughs> like a package of tuna, but it's squid instead. Yeah, right? kind of. Like yeah, we were like, no. well, if, if, I, if I was like making ground beef and i was like hey man you want some cow guts you know or or instead of chitlins hey you want some pig guts i mean just adding guts <laughs> to sound like something you don't want to eat anymore 
I'm with a lot of people who eat those things, though, like menudo and liver, heart, tongue. I, I could never stand that whole class of meat. Sorry. <laughs> Just, you can keep it. I haven't. Yeah. I, I respect people who are into it, but no, I have not really ventured into that Japan uh, avenue. You can, you can I've had tongue. tongue. I like I like tongue. I've had tongue. I, I like tongue. I've had cheek meat, which is very good, but that's mm. still not uh Stop, not all that out of out of the ordinary. I'd rather just try different animals. Like I had uh, locust. How was that? Like shrimp? Locust? No, like the the. They no, but was it like shrimp? Ship. No, no, you just eat it like straight on, like you're eating a bug. What's alive? No, that's that, I'm, you're not you're not. Uh, what's his name? Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> it's covered in a in a, a, a soy glaze. Okay. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I'd try it. Remind me next time I'm in Japan. I'll try it. I don't care. Okay. It's yeah. It's a local cool. food here. You, can, you can, I can get you I've, that easily. I've had chocolate covered like whatever insects or something. Mm -hmm. I don't remember which ones. Crickets or something. Why not? Why not? <laughs> Better about, than eyeballs or balls or if if this being, <laughs> if this monster were not corporeal, would you eat it? Not knowing if it's dead or not, or if it was. It's not. I don't. Can can I get someone to test it somehow? Hell no. No, I'd say no. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not the guys from Prometheus. I'm not just gonna do whatever without thinking about it. How about in in lens slayer mode? Would you eat it then? Lens slayer mode. It's a glimmer of light. I guess that's not really a lens slayer, but. Um, what? It's oh. just a glimmer of light. Wouldn't you could eat? Oh, that. just eat the that thing. Uh, yeah. Okay, I'd try it. Why not? Yeah, you could do that. But you know, yeah. it turns into space death octopus. So, but it'd be like candy. Mm. But um, uh, I um, yeah, people are weird. I, I clearly this is rated eight point two because people are scared of no. Thing, this is and that's often cool. considered to be one of the best of the series. So I was a little surprised that I was. A little cool on it you know i don't i don't well it's the weird construction of the flashback and everything because you had to set it all up yeah. if and you I watch this without thinking about it it's probably fine but i'm thinking about it what's, what's what is the rating on black sun by the way a, a ring black. around the moon because i love those but those seem to be rated relatively lower give me a second um i thought ring do, around do, the moon is great do, do, but, do, do, do. black sun 7.2 much lower in this one then. How about how ring about ring around, around the moon? The moon is where is it? It's it's around the moon. Look around the moon. Oh, I'm I'm looking straight at the moon and I. Uh, Do you see the eye? Just... The brain eye. Oh, six point zero. Yeah. Oh wow, that's a low rating. I love that episode. <laughs> Let me see. My favorite ones would be. Like the funky guitar when they're out on the surface of the moon. Check out the Infernal yeah. Infernal Machine nine uh, six point nine. The last sunset seven point four. Uh, Collision just, course. Now I'm rating my Collision favorite course. ones. Collision course is. Collision course. I need to use my control F. Because that was your dumpster fire of an episode, right? Six point nine. That's one I okay, didn't like. That high, but yeah. Course of life seven. Most mm. of these are about real close together uh yeah. alpha child was only 6.6 .6. that's lame mm. that was that was fun episode and of eternity 7.2 yeah okay and, anyway just it is curious that you know it's oh full circle 5.2 i think we already went over we that that was the lowest rated that. episode of the whole fucking series no, i just i'm sorry I, bleep that out as we've been no as we've been <laughs> going through these i i've been noticing especially reading the mirror book that kind of like where we land and like where a lot of, like people land on very different episodes of the series which is mm -hmm. kind of charming <laughs> yeah but yeah top rated dragon's domain earthbound breakaway another time another place last sunset testament of arcadia which and you is next would week you wouldn't put another time or a place that high if i remember correctly i don't i didn't that one like annoy you yeah it wasn't i mean it wasn't it was dumb but it was like not bad or incompetent no I my certainly would be about where yeah. you just said so certain i certainly liked uh earthbound and breakaway a lot and oh yeah, yeah. Those the last sunset and death's other dominion is right there and that's still probably my favorite one mm -hmm. i think um i think 
Brian, unless it always raises the bar. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. I'm just crushing it. But also, I mean, that had that—that that was the only the episode I think we've seen at all that have character had character arcs for more than like Koenig. You know, like basically, it had you know it had characters that were believable and interesting that were not main characters or like the one guest star who's Satan or. or um, <laughs> well, at least Cellini describes it because he says, I'm not a rational man. So why would sure. you think you'd get a rational character arc out of him? But but John and, and Helena have to yell at each other over whether he's rational or not. <laughs> That's funny. That's all that matters. The um, how this have played out, out in this episode? How would that played out if Alan was the was the was the lead instead of Cellini, though? I would weird. the thing is is that if that Part of why that would have been better is we wouldn't have had all the stupid. <laughs> there probably wouldn't have been a bunch of argument over his character, because we know we know Alan, so we don't have to have any of that stuff. Um, so that that's the stuff that really kind of felt like it was grinding the episode to a halt. I mean, we talked a beginning. little bit about how there's how with the guest stars there's been some Poochie syndrome. I'd say this is the most pronounced episode of Poochie syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really, you didn't have to kill him anyway. You could have just been like, oh. I'm okay. Thank Pucci you. Take died me back on his to way the to space, the space death octopus. <laughs> yeah, he has to figure out like... how the climax of the episode would have worked because then, you know, I well, mean, Alan Landau didn't want him to kill the monster, but maybe together they could have killed the yeah. monster or something like that. You know, or trying to a, figure out how they would have made it work. Without I mean, Landau's input, it would have just been Alan figures out maybe I should stab the thing with the giant eye in the eye. You could even <laughs> just have him almost die and Conan comes and rescues him and he's like thanks John you saved me you're the you're best true commander man. ever you're the star I am don't have my own show why don't you knock me out again I mean <laughs> uh, it's just yeah it's, it's it makes me just dislike Martin yeah, Landau which I don't, I don't need <laughs> I don't need that you know what I mean like I is this is this episode made me dislike him more than the ATV made me? Well, we've been learning all season what prima donnas Landau and Bane were. <laughs> yeah, it's it's these little breadcrumbs, you know, and yeah. and you know what it, you know what it is is when you hear little things about com little complaints here and there, then it's actually scarier because everyone's afraid to say what they actually think. You know, it's like when you hear full on. When someone's just like, I can't stand them, I won't work with them again, then it's like at least I don't know, at least you feel like maybe they were they were paying attention. <laughs> but uh who knows? Maybe Shatner is worse. I don't I don't know. Ask ask George Decay. Let's do the breakdown on this one. Uh existential dread versus sci-fi fun. Uh <laughs> no. I think I'll put Brian in the driver's seat on this one today. <laughs> well again it's the, the 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 scary episode or scariest episode um so it did have an impact in that regard so there's a lot of dread around the monster a lot of boredom around the flashback <laughs> but there's some sci-fi fun i mean i like the uh the fact that they made good use of the uh eagle's modularity in this episode it's probably showcased in that first of all you can abandon all your passengers and take the ship off without them, like Tony did. And then later you can pop the command module off and dock it with something else. So that that was uh, the sci-fi fun of it for me, was seeing that sort of stuff going on. Um, but I, I think the dread wins out because, yeah, the monster spook, you know, kids of my age out a lot. So... <laughs> That's kind of what I remember watching this just before I went to bed. You know, it's like it was on at eight o'clock in the evening. Uh, okay, I go to bed now. It's like, uh, okay, I'll try to sleep. That's <laughs> so maybe I would I'm... give it. Go ahead. Oh, no, that's kind of why I'm putting you in the uh, ask you to go first because you would have seen this, you know, as a kid, <laughs> as that of that age. Yeah. So I would definitely give it probably uh, at least 70 dread and probably 30 sci fi fun. I was trying to think of anything else about that I wanted to say. Um, I think they should have taken a tentacle back to Alpha just for you know studying it, but it probably Take would have just evaporated or something. Yeah, they, they they could have done that. I don't know how long they were going to be hanging around there before they. Kona could away. have touched it a lot. 
Yeah, but it seems like they could have studied it. Victor would be Yell fascinated with the thing. And then, but since it just it had a tendency to appear out of nowhere, I get the impression that it probably would have just, I mean, we see the tentacles just kind of steaming on the ground. I thought they were just going to disappear, you know, the way the monster has a tendency to just disappear. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm going 90-10. And the main reason for what that is, this is that dread. Okay. because i didn't have a lot of fun all my fun was with the terrifying monster so i can't really say that that was all that fun because it was scary <laughs> i don't i don't um i think the thing is is that most of it wasn't fun it's like i, I felt dread most of it i felt dread less than i felt kind of bored but i felt dread way more than i felt fun so that's <laughs> that's all i can really go on it's it's terrifying the idea that this monster would just follow you that far that is scary anyway it, it makes no sense at all but it's scary see i'm i feel like if i had seen this as a child i'd say something like 70 90 dread and the rest fun um i'll, I'll choose 80 as an in-between and the 80s fun the 20 is the dread Okay. Um, okay. Somehow this one, like, like I didn't see it as a kid, so I'm just like, that's a derpy, fun monster there, you know. I mean, in the in Cellini, there's no emotional resonance. If it had been yeah. Alan Carter, the dread would have been much higher for me again, because that's mm -hmm. a character I know and don't need to be told about. Yeah, you don't have any stakes in the guest star. He rarely have stakes in the guest star. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they it's like this guy dead by the terrible. It's not the guy I reiterate. I thought he was a very good actor, but they did a terrible job of fleshing out that character. Um, and also he seemed not super invested in it either, but probably because he knew what he, how little he had to work with. Um, I was tempted to say something like 60% dread and 0% fun, but I, yeah, I don't know. I prefer to come on. You got 100%. all those models. You got a modular <laughs> eagle. You got space death octopus. Yeah, there's yeah. The, the, the octopus is really fun. I can't. I can't. The screaming, just the screaming, is hilarious to me, and uh, <laughs> partly because I can like just hear my childhood self scared of it in the back of my head, and I'm laughing at myself. Right. <laughs> so that's because I've yeah. said. Some sometimes it's the abstract episodes that I find to be very high on the dread meter, whereas this one is more like plot holes, just straight plot holes, you know. I mean, <laughs> which it's just doesn't... a Bosch rewrite. I can't, I it it can't be anything else. It's just a totally Bosch rewrite that yeah. just went through because nobody cared all that much, or ITC was like, "This is brilliant. I'm a super smart executive, and this is the best thing I've ever seen." You know, possibly. <laughs> well, uh, my uh, my uh, stuff about uh, sci-fi fun is just because the spaceship aspect of it. We get to see lots of spaceships. Of course, most of them we've seen before, like the Discovery-like ship is in the graveyard, all those graveyard ships. The Ultra Probe ship is considered by fans to be one of the coolest models that they built for the series. But we only get to see it this one time. Uh, I like the interiors, but it doesn't take more than three seconds to realize they just redressed the Voyager one set from Voyager's return to make the modular, uh, yeah. the, 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 um, what I think the, the, the cockpit area it was all very familiar. So, and, um, you know, yeah. it's just, it's one of those things where this is another actually good case for airing the, uh, show out of production order because we just had what three episodes in a row that looked incredible. And this looks, great yeah. but not incredible so it's I, wanted, just, I wanted to uh, weigh in on those episodes too because i really like you know man. gwent's i like gwent to the ship that was <sighs> that was bizarre and weird good. i love that <laughs> so good so good. mission of the darians again another big model mm -hmm. they had a lot of cool model work in the end when they got some more money they started showing this stuff so Here you just get an yeah. insane monster which is great i like an insane it looks master. great i wouldn't tell you to like machete order this one out or anything you know uh <laughs> no i mean it's it's worth watching it's just it's just one of those things that don't don't expect star trek oh i guess the, here's <laughs> we what could i call did the podcast like, that here's what i did like about the flashback again this is in my uh running theme that um victor bergman is really austin powers it felt like austin powers mm -hmm. flashbacks where it's like 
five years earlier <laughs> and they're wearing something slightly mm-hmm. different, but every everything's exactly the same, basically. <laughs> I took what where are my notes on this? There was a conversation between Victor and Koenig that that was frustrating and oh yeah. Um they're they're talking about Koenig's screaming about going to get the spaceships, and Victor says that um that Cellini virtually came back from the dead. And I was like, that is completely wrong. He did not come back from the dead. Everyone else died and he didn't. Virtually. You know? No, it's virtual. Uh, that virtually. Okay, you virtually. Away a lot. That's a great weasel word. Virtually. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's like if you survive war, he virtually came back from the dead. Oh, uh, well. Uh, it's anyway, the monster exists and it is not anymore. Not alive. That's probably still there. Anyway, Cellini was not chilled, that's for sure. <laughs> He's dead. <laughs> Cellini, I like that. Oh, yeah, the reason I said Bellini earlier, this is like a way back in the conversation, is they recorded this as one of those like audio books, and they changed his name to Bellini for no reason. So oh, that he was Bellini. Okay, okay. Well, I guess not we, to be we confused crack- with Fellini. I guess we're going to... Bellini better than Cellini, the... and Cellini's better than Bellini. <laughs> Now you're just confusing me. Is there a Delini? What? Okay, Dana Delini. I'm sorry. I'm just saying names now. You go ahead. You're doing something more productive than me. I forgot what I was doing. I think I was trying to goad you on to finish the show. Oh, the show is finished. And if you want to finish something else, then go to our Patreon at patreon.com slash podcastio podcastius and finish signing up to give us some money every month for server bills and finish finding our other podcasts like films and filth and citizen kane podcasts brian's on that one sometimes time enough twilight zone podcast brian's also on that sometimes and game game show the game show about games luke loves pokemon hyrule field report occult disney um anyway don't yeah, I was rather than saying that, I was just gonna not. not. Well, I'm not. I mean, I'm not on some of those. You're not on some of those. Um, and you can go back and listen to Matt and Luke's Sci Fi Sanctuary on the Podcastio Podcastius Network. It's still out there. Yeah, sure, that's one I wasn't on. The, on. It's on the feed. <laughs> well, I was on that one like three times. But, I still want to be on. Trying it. to brag. Can we do we one just, more? Just bring it back. Just bring it back. I'll find some sci-fi thing that you and Luke will want to do, and then we'll just do it. <laughs> what was He'll that one you were talking about? Day. Yeah, what was that one you were talking about a few weeks ago? Seconds, was it? Yeah, yeah, we that. did that. We did that. Oh, you did that? that? Never that. mind. Yeah, Too late. <laughs> okay. There was well, so much uh, stuff about 2001 going around back then. I thought maybe you should just do 2010. <laughs> good. Yeah, that's, that's a good movie. I, I still mean, have your copy of it, Matt. Oh, I, I you left it? it with me. Yeah, you <laughs> let me borrow it, and then you moved to Japan. Oh, okay. Oops. <laughs> and then I, watched, oops. I watched it like two years ago, so obviously it's not a big uh, problem. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't have anything... a copy of 2010, but I need to get one. It's a good movie. I got a request for Sci-Fi so Sanctuary. You guys should bring it back to do Zardoz. Have Brian on for that. Mm. The, they uh, never did Zardoz. Can you believe that? We. It was definitely like on the short list. I'm offended. Oh, that you never did gosh. <laughs> there was a whole bunch on Sci-Fi 5 about Sardoz a couple of years ago, which reminds me of that. Yeah, we were going to watch it at STLV, but we never got around. We <laughs> should just have a watch party. Luke's probably never seen it, right? Uh, I don't think so. But I don't should know. Bring, uh, bring on Earl. <laughs> yeah. So good, dude. Let's have a watch bring party. Bring on Earl and John for, 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 for Zardoz. Yeah. Watch party. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Let's just do a big Zardoz roundtable. For now, let's go running into the mouth of the Space Death Octopus. Mmm, spaghetti. I'm just going to hit the eject button. Is that the right kind of screaming? No, it was like... Ah! It okay. was a pretty high-pitched roar. Yeah, I didn't want to do what you were doing. I'm, I didn't want to do that on the podcast. That's why I waited till it was over. <laughs> I mean, it's fun to scream in. like that, but it's, you know, okay, sure.